a long gospel, this will be a short sermon. <laughs> the gospels from John these last Sundays in Lent have not only been long, but they have been filled with so much rich preaching material that one could preach a month or two of Sundays just out of each passage. As it happens, though, I couldn't get beyond the first verse of this morning's gospel. The idea just won't go away. Sickness is punishment for sin. God causes sickness. God sends sickness. This understanding of God was found in Judaism. It is reflected in the disciples' question to Jesus. In spite of Jesus' unequivocal response, neither this man nor his parents sinned, it has persisted through the ages. In his commentary on the 1928 prayer book, Massey Shepherd says that all Anglican prayer books that preceded our 1928 prayer book in all of them, the suffering of the sick person was described as God's visitation for the purpose either of trying his faith or punishing his sin. That would lead one to infer that the 1928 book was a significant improvement. However, Marion Hatchett says in his commentary on the 1979 prayer book, that the revisers of the 1928 book reworked the visitation office to make less of the older thesis that sickness was God's chastisement for sin. I take that to mean that the 28 book may have been an improvement, but it was not entirely successful. I am happy to report that the service of ministration to the sick in our prayer book has succeeded and eradicating all references to this slander against the goodness of God. Yet the, the, the idea persists. That's because there are some sicknesses for which God may be considered indirectly responsible. He is the one who has made the world and life in this world to work in a certain way. If we live or act in a contrary way, some sicknesses may follow. The simplest example is cigarette smoking, which has a high correlation with lung cancer. God does not send lung cancer as a punishment for smoking cigarettes, but in the world he has made, cigarette smoking often results in lung cancer. I'm sure you can come up with other examples, and I hope you'll spend some time this afternoon thinking about them. In fact, I'll even add a personal one. You know that since my surgery a year ago, I've had to use a cane to walk. About a month ago, I made my situation significantly worse. I overdid it on the leg press machine in the fitness center. The next morning, I couldn't stand. My left knee was in excruciating pain. 
I didn't break or tear anything. It was only a sprain, but a sprain requires rest and time to heal. That's why I haven't been in church these past few Sundays. In my stupidity, I sidelined myself from being able to be engaged in ministry as I had been. A parishioner at the Thursday morning Eucharist hearing me talk about how stupid it was of me to do that, chided me. She said, when I get home from running and I've done something like tripped and fallen because I wasn't looking where I was going, and I come home bleeding, my husband, who is a lawyer, asks in a very lawyerly way, what ill-advised thing have you done to yourself now? I admit, ill-advised is much gentler than stupid, and I would certainly use that of someone else. But what I did was just plain stupid. I knew better than to use so much weight. I caused the injury all by myself. God had nothing to do with it except maybe to think to himself, boy, that was stupid. <laughs> Jesus knew that some of the sick people seeking healing from him had brought their sickness upon themselves. In those cases, he offered forgiveness before healing the person, but he still healed them. Most people he healed, however, were not responsible for their sickness. Sickness had just come upon them, and they were suffering. Healing the sick was a major part of Jesus's ministry. In fact, he was known not only as a prophet, but also as a healer. There are over 40 instances of healing related in the Gospels, some of which involve healing groups of people. Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, sometimes by anointing the sick with oil. After the resurrection, churches became places of healing. The epistle to James says, are there any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. That's exactly what we do in the sacramental rite of unction. The church father Tertullian said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church meaning the example of the martyrs led to the conversion of countless others. But early Christians not only outdied their contemporaries, they outlived them as well. It was the custom of Romans, including doctors, to flee the cities at the arrival of a plague, leaving the dying behind. That seemed to them a prudent thing to do and was consistent with the standards of their culture. It was the Christians, not all admit admittedly, but many who remained behind, caring for the sick, helping some to heal, and burying the dead at the risk of their own lives. Their sacrificial service continued Jesus' healing ministry and led to the conversion of countless others. Neither this man nor his parents said, sinned, said Jesus. 
He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. When Jesus healed the man blind from birth, it was God's works that were being revealed. That's because we, we Christians, believe that in Jesus, God has shown us in human form the kind of God he is. With regard to this morning's gospel, God is giving us a sign of how he's bringing healing and wholeness to the sick. God is known from the ministry of Jesus as the Lord and giver of health and healing, ever continuing to work in this very good but not yet perfect creation to make it perfect as he intended. I realize it's difficult to accept that much sickness and misfortune just happens. That's kind of scary. There's a warped kind of satisfaction that comes of thinking God causes everything, even sickness. But just imagine what this means in terms of sickness. If God the Father sends sickness for punishment, and Jesus heals sickness, then there's a whale of a battle going on within the Godhead. Here's God the Father getting ready to strike an individual with sickness, and God the Son incarnate in Jesus preparing to heal the person who's been struck by God. And yes, there's the voice of the archangel Gabriel in the background shouting, let's get ready to rumble. Such an idea is absurd, to say the least. But that's what happens if we don't remember that for us, God is like Jesus. And we test every belief to see whether it is in accordance with the way God has shown himself to be, the kind of God God is shown in Jesus. <laughs>